Hello, everybody. My name is Christy. And I'm Megan. And we are Homebrew Murder Crew. Welcome to our podcast. We are just your basic bitch, true crime junkies. And we are here to bring you another true crime podcast, but, you know, with our own spin on things. From the comfort of Christy's closet, we drink our homemade (laughs) wine. So that's what makes us unique, and that is our niche, is that we brew our own wine, our own beer, not for sale, but just for personal consumption. And that being said, we are going to bring you podcast episodes that are a little bit inebriated a little bit sober at times but either way um we hope that you enjoy and uh, we're just gonna tell you a little bit about ourselves uh, first off here um I'm Christy and I am a mom and wife and I've been into true crime for quite some years now I'd say and um there's not much else to say about myself, I guess. Like, I work part-time at a veterinary hospital, um, but the rest of the time I'm just doing mom shit at home and usually watching true crime, listening to true crime podcasts when I walk my dogs. That's basically it. And I met Megan here through a mutual job back in the day, and I'm really... I'm going to age ourselves right here. I'm sorry, Megan. (laughs) blockbuster video so yeah there's a throwback thursday for you even though it's wednesday um (laughs) blockbuster video is where we met and um we worked together side by side for a couple of years and she was my manager yeah i was her ass man yeah her ass man my ass man (laughs) (laughs) assistant manager you guys come on um (laughs) but um yeah and then we got laid off because blockbuster went into chapter 11 and then our relationship kind of went separate ways really we went separate ways as as people do but um we recently rekindled our friendship through our love for true true crime and wine (laughs) on our facebook group wine and true crime yes we have a facebook group as well wine and true crime where we talk about all things true crime so we're gonna integrate that into our podcast at some point as well but um disclaimer as well we're new to the podcast world, so we're going to do our absolute best to do the best research that we can. Um, I think our number one priority is obviously to uh, bring awareness to the cases that we talk about. And obviously, in no way do we have any intention to denigrate victims or anything like that. We may may make fun of the perpetrators. perpetrators. <laughs> um, maybe the police, maybe a few other things, but... Um, um, definitely like honoring the victims and just bringing awareness to that. So yeah. yeah. Megan. Uh, so I'm Megan. I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I am not married and I don't have any kids, but I have a love for animals. I have three fur babies and I am very artsy. Um, and I work in accounting, even though I really suck at math. Math sucks. Math does suck. And you know what? None of the stuff I learned in school I actually need for accounting. I love that you can work in accounting and suck at math. Like, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter at all. That's why I'm in accounting. Um, I'm a junior accountant for a company. Um, 
other than that, my days consist of taking care of my fur babies and making wine and beer with Christy. Yay! And your fur yeah. babies are so cute. Yeah. I forgot to mention I have fur babies too. Yeah, you do have fur babies. I have two huskies and a cat. We love animals. We love animals. Yeah, we love animals. We love children. Husbands are okay. Oh, I mean... Depends on the day, but <laughs> <laughs> anyways, we wanted to give you a quick introduction of two of of two of two who <laughs> we are to, of, 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 of a quick introduction of who we are and where we're where we're gonna bring you in the next little bit. So um, we're gonna hop right into our first episode after this, but um, we hope to buckle hear from up. you guys. Buckle up, hang on to your butts. Um, we hope to hear from you guys, see from you guys. We hope to um, yeah, just create a world of crime fandom through this podcast and share our love for true crime with every one of you disturbed souls it's gonna be a wild ride it's gonna be the tits (laughs) (laughs) all right guys we will see you on another time we'll chat with you on our first episode bye bye Happy hump day, everyone. Woo! This is Homebrew Murder Crew. Coming to you on Wednesday. And we just bottled, I don't know how many bottles of wine. There's a few. 30? It's usually 30. 31. 31. No. No. 25 bottles of wine. And the wonderful thing is, is once I start drinking... I ha- my body rejects it <laughs> and I get like this allergic reaction which like exists in my nasal cavity and so I'm gonna sound super nasally to y'all and I apologize it's not COVID it's not COVID I'm not sick I'm not sharing a closet with my bestie here when I'm sick I just <laughs> have uh, inflammation I have rhinitis if you will if I may Rhinitis. It's inflammation. Itis. Inflammation. Anyways, I know medical terms sometimes. <laughs> Anyways, so, yeah, so like, ignore my nasally voice, and we'll try to edit out all my sniffles the best that we can. But uh, like we said in our introduction, we're new to this, so our editing skills not there yet, and they will get there. Our research skills not there yet, but they will get there. And you know what? I promise you guys that our personalities, above all, are going to be top notch. Top notch. (laughs) Top drawer. (laughs) Day one. So that's what's going to keep you all around. (laughs) It's the personalities. But uh, cheers. (laughs) So in case you didn't know, I'm Megan. (laughs) I'm Christy. And we are... Homebrew Murder Crew, where we brew our own wine and beer and drink it because we can't sell it because that's called bootlegging. (laughs) So today we're coming to you with our very first podcast episodes. We ask you to please be kind. Um, We hope you like it. Like, 
we're gonna give you some info at the end of this episode how you can like get in touch with us and follow us and like be our friends yeah and so we hope to hear from you please like us please like us please don't please don't hate on us because my my uh, self-confidence can't take it right now i am a mother so just you know bear with me my emotions run rampant usually. Um, today we're called Kaka Kaka. What? We'll <laughs> get that out. <laughs> or don't. Oh, yeah. Today we're going to talk about the disappearance of Lisa Mitchell. Let's get started. <laughs> Lisa Mitchell was the youngest of two children. She always had an interest and passion for art and music. In high school, her and her friends they had formed an all-girls singing group called Just Cuz, and that's Cuz with a Z super cute um they would do performances for their parents uh on birthdays talent shows and they'd make music videos lisa couldn't sing worth beans according to her mother peggy but that didn't stop lisa she had stage presence and she always had fun with singing she had a ton of energy and spunk and people just loved that that was really what drew them to love those performances out of high school, Lisa worked many different jobs, including fast food and at a mobile snow cone stand that would often find her serving snow cones at concerts. She was serving snow cones at a Nickelback concert, which is one of her favorite bands. I can't say that I share that same sentiment, but you know what? No hate. <laughs> um, and after her shift, she made her way to the front of the stage as she would normally do at any other concert. And she began talking to a lady that she would soon find out was actually Chad Kruger's mom. And remember, Lisa's super outgoing. She's going up and she's talking to people. Like, that's just her personality. And yeah, this woman was Chad Kruger's mom. So she was able to get a photo and an autograph with the band. And she talked about this moment for years. Not long after that, Lisa met Alan Scheibach at a restaurant that Alan worked at as a cook. Now, Alan is her, um, her husband or her common-law husband. Uh, so this is how they met. Uh, Lisa's parents didn't initially care much for Alan. They were polar opposites. Lisa was outgoing, as, we, as I said before. Alan was more reserved, quiet, introverted type. But the heart wants what the heart wants, and you certainly can't help who your kids fall in love with. Not that they listen to you anyways. Nope. However, it didn't take long for their differences to cause issues in the relationship. Lisa loved to get dressed up and go out to clubs and have fun. Alan would get upset with this. That wasn't his style. That wasn't his scene. After they moved in together, Lisa spent less time at the bars and more time on her art. Things were getting better. Obviously, this worked out well for Alan, but um, it wouldn't take long for the same old issues to come up again and again. After five years together, Alan had packed up and left Lisa. Lisa would go on to live with her recently remarried mother, Peggy, and she even started dating again. So she went to Toronto with her new boyfriend, and when Alan found that out, he sought out Peggy, found her, and told her that he wanted Lisa back. He showed her a diamond ring that he bought for Lisa because he wanted to propose. And a short time after getting back from Toronto, Lisa and Alan would actually get back together again. So shortly after that, shortly after Lisa got back and talked to Alan and they got back together, Lisa actually found out that she was pregnant, but the baby wasn't actually Alan's. But Alan had promised to love and raise the baby as his own. And together they were over the moon excited to start a family together. And then two years later, they actually had a beautiful baby daughter of their own and their family was complete. 
in October of 2012, Lisa was 29 years old, living in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. She was a busy mother to her two children, juggling two jobs to make ends meet for her family, as Alan was currently unemployed. He had worked as a chef and sometimes as a mechanic, but he had a hard time keeping jobs. He'd often come home too exhausted to help out around the house or with kids. And this is where plenty of the fights started between Lisa and Alan. I mean, I get it. Like you work uh, long hours at work, you get home and you don't want to do much of anything. But like, like my husband works like 12 hours some days as a heavy duty mechanic and or overtime at that. And then he comes home and he still like, he still helps out. He helps out with my son. He puts him to bed. He, like he is tonight. Like, like he is tonight, right? So, so we, can we can sit record. in this closet and record. <laughs> but you have responsibilities. And just because you don't like doing something doesn't mean you don't do it. Anyways, the fights would become more frequent and more intense. There was violence on both sides. In fact, Lisa once actually had hit Ellen with a frying pan. The police would eventually attend numerous domestic calls to the couple's residence. And Peggy often offered to have Lisa and the kids move in with her. But Lisa was still determined to make things work. But finally, Lisa had had enough and she gave in and did eventually move out. But this was short-lived. After a decade together, Lisa had decided that she wanted to work things out with Alan. So they got a new-to-them place in a southeast community of Calgary called Ogden. And they each tried to work out a stable living situation for their kids. That was their priority, was their children. Which I get, you know, but however, if things aren't working out, like, you can't just always do things for the kids, you know. You gotta work on your own relationship and you have to make that a priority at some point mm-hmm. but to supplement her income to, to supplement their income on weekends lisa was a waitress at the twin cities hotel and saloon a rustic old west pub in longview where her mom peggy lived now longview is a small town just about an hour southwest of calgary and lisa would make this trip part-time on the weekends for work while visiting with her mom On the weekend before Halloween, October 27th, 2012, Lisa was working in Longview. The hotel was preparing for a Halloween bash, and Lisa had to ask to borrow a costume from her mom. She didn't know that she had to dress up for her shift. So she dressed as a disco queen, wearing a one-piece jumpsuit that was light purple with sparkles. (laughs) This actually belonged to her grandmother, so Peggy's mom. Um, And uh, Peggy had it on hand, but yeah, super cute. I've seen the picture, and she looks super cute in it. Her mom joined her for the party that night, and Peggy would go on to say that this night at the saloon was one of the best nights she had ever spent with her daughter, dancing, laughing, and partying until about 3 a.m. Despite a late night, they were up early the next morning at 9 a.m., hanging out, sipping coffee, making plans for a brunch date. But then Lisa received a call Sunday morning around 11 a.m. It was Alan asking her to come home urgently. Lisa was pretty bummed to have to leave and cancel her plans with her mom, but she told her mom she would talk to her soon. Lisa got in her truck and headed back north to Calgary. Two days went by without a single word from Lisa, which was extremely unusual. Peggy left a voicemail after voicemail, text message after text message. Lisa had another shift on November 7th, and Peggy promised that if she hadn't heard from Lisa by then, she would drive to Calgary. Well, on Saturday, November 7th, Lisa was a no-call, no-show. She had missed her shift. Peggy was on her way to Calgary to get some answers. She pulled up at Alan and Lisa's house and knocked on the door. When Alan answered, Peggy demanded to know where Lisa was. Alan told Peggy that Lisa had, quote, took off, unquote. 
that they were having a discussion and Lisa had asked Alan to go out and get some smokes. When Alan came back home about 15 to 20 minutes later, Lisa was gone. Peggy looked around and couldn't help but notice Lisa's favorite jacket, her shoes. It was the end of October when Lisa had would have left. Why wouldn't she bring these things with her? She demanded to see the rest of the house and Alan let her. Peggy found more of Lisa's belongings that were important to Lisa, like jewelry she had always worn. This is all very puzzling to Peggy. Alan told Peggy that shortly after Lisa had left, she had sent him an email. And so he suggested that maybe she sent one to Peggy as well. So reluctantly, Peggy left to head back home where she checked her email. And sure enough, there was a message from Lisa. It read, just had to get away. We'll be in touch. Love ya. Peggy knew Lisa had been under a lot of stress, but had a hard time accepting that her daughter would just up and leave. They continued to email back and forth a few times, but Lisa's emails never revealed any information about her whereabouts. Call it Mama's intuition, but Peggy knew something wasn't right. Peggy would sleep with her phone beside her at night, hoping to get a call from Lisa. The call finally came one night at 2 a.m. on October 16th, but Peggy was fast asleep and missed it. Luckily, there was a voicemail from Lisa. I'm okay. Sometimes things get out of hand. Sometimes things take a while, but I'm okay. Okay, he's home. I gotta go, is what the voicemail said. Peggy's imagination ran wild with possible scenarios. Where is she? Why can't she talk? Who is she with? The call didn't sit right with Peggy, and so she went to the police to file a missing persons report. In the meantime, Alan welcomed Peggy to spend time with her, with her grandchildren. The weeks passed without further communication from Lisa. No emails, no calls. Peggy spent Christmas with her grandchildren and Alan, but it just didn't feel right without Lisa there. Peggy wasn't sleeping and nothing else seemed to matter anymore. She went to work, came home. She didn't do housework, nothing. She gave up on everything except for finding Lisa. Constable Carl Sudik was working in the missing persons department when Lisa's case came up. He had over 13 years experience with Calgary Police Service at this time. Three months after her disappearance, Constable Sudik was assigned to her case. He was tasked with talking to friends and family members about where Lisa could be. And it was no easy task because Lisa had a lot of connections and was even on dating sites recently in between her and Alan's on again, off again relationship. So they had to try and connect with the men that she had been chatting with on these sites and get interviews with them. The emails to her mom, Peggy, stood out to Constable Sudik as well as to Peggy. They didn't make sense, but they had to attempt to find a footprint of life, physical and digital data that could lead them to find some answers surrounding Lisa's disappearance. They looked into her recent bank transaction history and found that her bank card had, re had recently been used at a Calgary strip club. This was a promising lead to them as they were sure to be surveillance in a location like this. Unfortunately, this did not pan out. There was no surveillance, not even on the ATM machine where cash was withdrawn from her account. A preliminary search of the home didn't bring up much either. Other than a junky basement, the house was clean and looked to be what you would expect from a home of a small family. There was nothing there that would indicate any sign of her whereabouts. Alan was interviewed on January 29th, 2013 by Detective Sweet. Al opened up to Sweet about their rocky relationship, citing that he was a victim of domestic abuse. To detectives, Al seemed like an emotionally beat-down man from a toxic relationship, accepting the fact that his wife had finally left him for good. Police felt like they had hit a dead end. 
Around this time, there was a change in the law surrounding missing persons. Prior to this, law enforcement were not allowed to, to request personal information from a missing persons case because, after all, it's not a crime to be missing. This changed, which allowed them to access Lisa's phone and bank records. This was important because going back to the mysterious 2 a.m. call to Peggy from Lisa, that call never came from Lisa's phone number. It came from an unknown number, and this seemed extremely suspicious. Police were able to get the phone number that had called Peggy. The name on the phone came back as Ale Mitchell, and the phone number was a Brampton, Brampton, Ontario number. Police requested records for the phone, learning that the phone was purchased in Calgary, but registered in Edmonton, Alberta. And there were five calls made from the phone, four to Alan Scheibach and one to Peggy Mitchell. Edmonton, Alberta is about three hours north of Calgary. These calls seem about right when you consider that this is supposed to be Lisa's phone, except that Alan said that he never heard from Lisa after the emails. So why are there calls made to him? And even more puzzling, why were the calls pinging on cell towers that were blocks away from Alan's house? The fact that Alan wasn't 100% truthful changed the course of the investigation. Alan was now considered a suspect in Lisa's disappearance, and they could now look into his phone records and his bank records, which provided an interesting shopping trip that Alan made around the time that Lisa had gone missing. Now, Megan, are you ready to hear the interesting shopping list that Alan had? Oh yeah, let's hear so, it. So here we go. We have cat litter, Okay. Which is peculiar, peculiar considering that Alan is deathly allergic to cats. Okay. A piece of plywood, gloves, a large plastic tub, bleach, cement, a mixing bucket. As well, there was a cash withdrawal from that store for $40. And the phone that was used to make those calls was $39.99 for one month use. Huh. Now, the detective had actually made these same purchases at that same store just to see what that would look like. Mm -hmm. And he brought those purchases back to his crew and he laid them out in front of him and said, unbeknownst to him that he was even a suspect, Peggy was still reeling from her daughter's disappearance. In December 2014, there was a break in the case. Something had been in the works early on in this investigation. Something that would come as a complete surprise to Peggy. A Mr. Big Sting Operation. So what a Mr. Big Sting Operation is, it's a tactic used in a lot of major crime investigations in Canada that often involves police creating fake criminal organizations that lead to the suspect confessing to a crime boss, AKA Mr. Big. However, due to Alan Scheibach's lack of criminal background, that scenario wouldn't work for them. Instead, they created over 30 scenarios to befriend Scheibach to coerce a confession out of him. 30, wow. I don't know. Holy. 30 different operations they had going on. <laughs> undercover police officers interacting That's with him intense. to try and befriend him. Um, they called this Operation Aurora. None of the officers involved could be named or can be named. One officer involved, though, reported 
during the trial that on December 4th, 2013, she and another officer tailed Shyback to a parking lot, and after he left, they drove into his vehicle, causing minor damage. The other male officer left the vehicle, leaving the female officer to wait for Alan. Upon his return, the officer told Alan Shyback that due to poor road conditions, she accidentally slid into the side of his vehicle. She said the vehicle she was driving was a company car and that she was hoping to pay for any damage outside of insurance. We've all done that. Let's be real. Let's be real. (laughs) Yeah. After a brief exchange of information, including phone numbers and business cards, Shyback spoke on the phone with the officer's boss, the male officer. Air quotes, because you can't see her air quotes. See him air quoting. Uh, The male officer, the two agreed to speak again soon. In a phone conversation in the days following, Shyback told the female officer that he had quotes done for the damage to his vehicle and after labor it would cost a thousand dollars. The female officer agreed, offered Shyback flames tickets. If you don't know what the flames are, they're mm. the Calgary Flames. They're our hockey team. And they're Calgary's hockey team. Pretty great. Yeah, I mean, except for the lack of Stanley Cup wins. Lack of Stanley Cup wins. They know. almost won it. Almost they doesn't count. Won it. They should have won it. That's a story for another time. <laughs> we digress. So she offered him flamed tickets um, and set a time to meet to make the payment. On December December 9th... December? <laughs> December? 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 On December 9th, 2013, the second scenario took place. When the female officer met Shyback at a restaurant near his work to make the payment. At that point, she spoke with him about her job in marketing, obviously... She didn't work in marketing. She was a police officer. Mm -hmm. In a phone conversation on January 23rd, 2014, the two spoke again over the phone about meeting up the following day to sign an insurance waiver. During this phone call, Shyback asked the undercover officer if she'd be interested on going on a date. Oh, Alan. You flirt. Oh, Alan. But Alan? 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 (laughs) But the officer said that she diverted the conversation by telling him that she had just gotten out of a serious relationship Mm. and she wasn't interested in a relationship at that point and that she just wanted to meet for lunch. Hmm. Their third and final meetup took place at a restaurant in Deerfoot Meadows. Really? Different Meadows. That's right by my place. That's right where I work. Oh, you work in Different Meadows? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they met at a restaurant in Deerfoot Meadows. I bet it was Ricky's. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Or Denny's. Or Denny's. Maybe it was a shark club. I don't think Shark Club was there in 2013. Um, Maybe not, yeah. Yeah, so Tribeck asked her out on a date again. Relentless. Relentless. This is a direct quote. I told him that although I was flattered, I indicated I was not interested as I just got out of a bad relationship, was caring for my ailing mother, and was focused on work. Take a hint, Alan. Mm -hmm. She said 
he said he'd also had a bad relationship oh, and understood. Yeah. I yeah. bet you understand, Ellen. Mm-hmm. During that same meeting, the male undercover officer attended the lunch and brought the insurance waiver. The female officer... So, who was... I'm just trying to understand, like, in this scenario, yeah. maybe you said it and I missed it, but, like, there's the male officer and the female officer... Yeah. In this scenario, yep. who is the male officer to the female officer? He's her boss oh, at the marketing. Gotcha. Firm. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Cool, yeah. Cool, 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 cool. So she talked to her boss, the male officer, and they had right. agreed yeah. to pay for the damage outside of going. To gotcha. Insurance. Yes. Okay. Um, so they all met together, brought an insurance waiver. He signed it. The female officer said that. Although her interactions with Shyback were during her interactions with Shyback, he was calm, polite, and a gentleman. Mm. Detective David Sweet told court he spoken with the accused twice. I know, love David Sweet. He's so sweet. I know. <laughs> the first was to interview Shyback, who was then considered a witness. He detailed a rocky relationship between the two, including blow-up arguments, which mm-hmm. you um, touched base on yeah. the frying pan. And there was a time where he claimed she'd smashed a mirror over his head. And smacked him over the head when he was buckling a kid into it. Yeah. And he also claimed that he was one of five potential biological oh, yeah. fathers to his son. He told the detective that he was aware Mitchell was also on dating websites, mm-hmm. which, whatever. And he'd also heard her exchange phone calls and texts with a lot of friends that were guys. Yeah. The day of his arrest, which was December 14th, 2014, I believe. December 6th. Yes. yes. December 6th, 2014. So it would have been, this was December 5th, 2014. Sweet contacted Shyback by phone oh, while yeah. he was with an undercover Calgary police officer in Winnipeg because he had left to Winnipeg for whatever for a job, reason. Yeah. Um, while he was with one of the other... Uh, so he had left to, to Winnipeg because they set up another scenario where he got a job that had to take him out to Winnipeg. Right. So that right. he was with a co-worker, air which, quotes, which yeah. you can't see... Which was an undercover cop. Which was, yes, another yep. another undercover cop from Calgary. This was one of the other 32 different scenarios they set up. So while he was in Winnipeg, Sweet called him on the phone while he was with his quote-unquote co-worker, who was mm-hmm. another undercover police officer. Sweet told Shyback he wanted to meet with him to talk and that he also... Um, wanted to search his Calgary home in Ogden because he believed that there was information in the home that would help solve the murder. That part was put almost into a script to introduce a sense of anxiety mm-hmm. and it worked. Shyback after the phone conversation ended up confessing Lost his shit. everything to the undercover officer that he believed to be a friend. In their opening statements, the Crown said Shyback confessed to strangling and burying Mitchell. 
to the undercover officer. Her decomposing body and partially mummified body was later discovered by Calgary police in a plastic container that had been cemented in a makeshift tomb. That is wild. That was Mr. And so those Mr. Big operations are typically only seen in Canada because I actually think they're illegal in the states. I think they are too. They I don't, don't know. Yeah, I don't because it's essentially entrapment. It is entrapment. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't know about the West, but the the Western world. I don't know about the rest of the world. <laughs> um, so if anybody has information on that, if you're overseas and you're listening or whatever, um, we'd love to hear about what the laws are there surrounding that. Um, but that's wild. Like, yeah, and I think. I think they had said that it only took like normally these things take years years to to pan out and it only took about three months for him to start opening up to the undercover officers yeah so um wild but yes on december 6th 2014 alan scheibach was arrested and he was charged with second degree murder and causing an indignity to a body police had found lisa's body Police had received a warrant to search Alan's house while he was away in Winnipeg for work. They had done preliminary searches before, but they finally had the time and the resources to do a thorough search. In the basement, they had noticed items from Alan's shopping trip, bleach, cat litter, etc. But also, they found what looked like a new addition to the basement, a concrete formation of sorts in the corner of the basement, forming somewhat of a triangle. Police chipped away at this odd addition, breaking it apart and revealing another item from Alan's, Alan's shopping trip, a plastic tub that was duct taped shut. Upon opening the tub, they had discovered Lisa's remains in the fetal position inside a plastic bag that was then placed into the tub, covered in cat litter and salt. Lisa's body was put into a plastic tub and cemented into the basement that she shared with Alan and their children. Let me say that again. Lisa's body was put into a plastic tub and cemented into the basement that she shared with Alan and their children. It was there for two years. For two years. The cause of death was manual strangulation. Further investigation would reveal that Allen had made a couple choice internet searches, including murder legislation in Canada and how body decomposition reacts in an environment with a lack of air, a lack of insect activity, etc. And remember that phone and the phone calls? Well, it turns out that Allen had previously installed spyware on Lisa's phone, which allowed him to record her conversations and voice messages onto his computer. With these recordings, he was able to splice together clips of Lisa's sentences to create that voice message to Peggy. So creepy. It's, it's gross. That is gross. In court, Allen would detail nearly 10 years of domestic abuse that seemed endless day in, day out. He went on to explain that during a heated argument, Lisa had threatened him with a knife forcing him to defend himself quote she picked up a knife that had been sitting on the kitchen table she proceeded to inform me that she could stab me she could leave me bleeding on the floor call the police and when they got there i would be the one that would be arrested i'm not sure how but i know my right hand did close around her neck i remember i was pushing hard trying to get out of the corner i was in and my left hand was trying to push her away with my right arm I realize she's gone. She's not breathing. She's not moving. 
and I'm trying to tell myself to let to let go and it seems to happen in slow motion it was once we were on the ground it was pretty much one of the first things I became consciously aware of at that point I was looking at her face and realizing she wasn't there now, Shybach didn't call the police because he feared that they wouldn't believe him. He started cleaning up and decided to place Mitchell's body in a Rubbermaid container. Quote, in the process of doing that, it came to me that she wasn't going to get angry again. I really became aware of the fact that she was gone and I was in a state of full panic. End quote. Shybeck said that he managed to drag the container into the basement. He later cemented it into the wall because there were plumbing problems and he needed to hide her before anybody came in to look at that. Alan Shybeck was later sentenced to seven years in prison. That's right, seven years in prison. Five years for manslaughter and two years for causing an indignity to a body. Ridiculous. The sentence was later increased, but only by three years, for a total of 10 years. The simple fact that he chose to deceive Lisa's family members by sending fake emails and texts and lie to his children warranted a longer sentence. And that wasn't the end of his deceit either. Shybeck had been granted day parole, but it was revoked in 2019 after he failed to inform authorities of any kind of relationships. He had accessed a massage parlor for sexual services, and then also sexual services, and then also sex toys were found in his room at a halfway house. I believe he was also hiding and hoarding his bipolar medication, which he was failing to take, and that. That was also um, a condition of, of his parole was that he was supposed to be taking medication yeah. and he was he was hoarding that and he said that what he he didn't feel right on them or something like that yeah that's what most people yeah. feel they didn't feel right on them or they felt like they were cured and they didn't need yeah. them anymore Alan Scheibach is scheduled for statutory release in April 2022 and so that is what like six months from now i heard it was it's it's controversial there are some um reports that it's actually december 2021 which is two months from now and that's what i had read initially in my research and then i found this so i'm i'm interested to find out why that's changed or if it actually has changed but regardless of if this was done in the heat of the moment by accident like i can see that you know you can be having a heated argument whether or not there's a knife involved i don't know about that but i can see that you can black out like and and i believe that it could definitely be second degree murder absolutely and that it's not planned out because like you have all these internet searches after the fact but not and there's nothing before the fact but like yeah and that's the thing it's like okay regardless of that you didn't mean to do it blah 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 Mm -hmm. blah you are a terribly selfish person to lie to your children for two years and they're living in the house the same house that you buried your you entombed your wife into the basement foundation of that home and you're making them live there yeah that is disgusting and then you also send these manipulative emails and voicemails to lisa's mom all to cover your tracks yeah all to because you didn't think that the police would believe your story of self-defense. I'm sorry, but I, and I, you only get 10 years for it. Like 
Oh, it's a Canadian It's a slap on the wrist. System. I know, and it makes me so mad that the justice, justice system exists to protect the criminals yeah. more than the victims. So, to that regard, um, sending my like love our love our energy out to to peggy and lisa's family as we're coming up on the anniversary of her death and her her disappearance her death and everything and the possible release of her and the possible release of of her murderer um i can't imagine like i know i don't know i don't know but i imagine that her, her mom is just like reeling and you know, this is probably hanging very heavy on her. So, um, our thoughts go to you, Peggy, and um, to the rest of, of Lisa's friends and family. I know she was loved dearly by many. So, um, yeah, insane. I just can't even imagine like that. This guy is going to be walking the streets that we live in yeah that we live and you're on. a fucking liar like you can't even be honest about like oh i didn't realize that a, a transactional sex was a relationship <sighs> honey you yeah. are like basically you are required by law anybody that you fucking speak to you need yeah. to like you know Absolutely. like i don't care if you're paying for it or what uh, you're doing but man and why mm, and then you think you're going to get away with it again. Yeah. And just without an apology of like, I didn't know. Yeah. You didn't know you were going to get caught. Yeah. So obviously absolutely. like your, your deceit, the deceit runs thick in your blood. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember when this happened cause I was living in Linwood mm-hmm. at the time, which is, uh, if you're I not think familiar, I was too. Yeah. Linwood is just like the neighborhood. Mm, no, I think I'm in next to Ogden. Yeah. Yeah. But like Chrissy and I went like, we worked at Blockbuster. We worked at the Blockbuster in Ogden. Like, this is, like, our yeah. neighborhood. This, this is, our is neighborhood. where we grew up. Which, yeah, we didn't say it in our introduction or anything yeah. like that. But, like, we are from Calgary. Yeah, Calgary um, yes. So, yeah, this is this is something that it's we've heard about. It's close to home. And, yeah. This is, like, a home town murder for us. Yeah. And it's still ongoing because his release is coming up. Yeah. And now it's... Like, we have to, like, not just us, but, like, he's going to be living on our streets. Like, somebody I know recently just bought a house across the street. Oh, my from God. From the that's house so wild. this all happened, where she was, like, where her body was entombed for did two years. Did she buy years. that house knowing that? She didn't. It oh, was okay. after the fact that she messaged me, and she was like, I think I bought a murder <gasps> house. And then she's like, oh, no. It it's is across the street. directly across the street. Is somebody living there right now? Yeah, it was a rental property, so somebody else is living there. Like, I, every time I drive by it, I can't help but think about, like, he literally, like, if you look at the photos, and we will include copies, Mm -hmm. we will include photos on our Instagram page. It's just scary to see, like, this corner in the basement. Yeah, it's... It's just so bizarre where the photos that they took prior to discovering her body of just like this, uh, sorry, not discovering her body, but digging up her body of this, like there was Tupperware containers, like, oh, and they also like, there was like air fresheners, like random air fresheners all throughout the basement to try to like hide the scent of decomposition. And I guess he had also frequently like 
bleach that area of cement that he built to try to like clean it and hide any scent or whatever. It's like the, like, and then he forbade his children from going downstairs. It's like, wow, stand up dad of the year over here. Forbid his children from going downstairs to where he buried his fucking wife. Like, You let your children live there and you lied to them. And now they have to deal with this. Like this is generational trauma that is going to fuck them up. Luckily, luckily they're living with Peggy now. Absolutely. But, um, and they have no contact with him whatsoever. Well, I hope that you enjoyed the podcast. Um, we are open to recommendations of what to cover, what you guys would like to hear. Um, if you don't like us at all, just fucking hand it to us. I don't fucking care. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> if there's something we can do better, let us know. Um, otherwise, you can find us um, on social media at actually our Facebook group has nothing to do with our podcast name our facebook group is wine and true crime please go give it a follow and a like and follow yes, absolutely um our tiktok is homebrew murder crew and our instagram is homebrew murder crew and you can give us a like or a follow on there and like i said we'll also include photos of of out of the crime yep. scene, um, the basement of um, Lisa, Alan, and Lisa. Alan yeah. etc. You can also send us any kind of emails, good or bad. We'll accept anything. But love emails would be the best. Yeah, absolutely. At um, Homebrew Murder Crew. That's H O M E B R E W. M-U-R-D-E-R-C-R-E-W at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you guys blow the shiz up, we will have merch for you because we are really excited to get to work on that. However, we're not going to do it if we don't have a following. Absolutely, but we've got so much merch ideas. We already had the merch planned. Between the the two of us, we are like super artistic individuals. Absolutely. We just really want to hang. So we've rambled on for good probably like seven minutes now about ourselves <laughs> on our own. I'm pretty sure nobody else wants to hear this shit, but... Um, We're awesome. One last thing I will mention is um, because we are so new, we are still getting our bearings. So you can look for an episode once, maybe twice a month for now until probably the new year. We'll try and do things a little bit more frequently. Absolutely. Um, and if you want to hear more, just blow up our Instagram, yeah. our email, or Facebook, and you know what? We'll make it happen. We'll make for it happen. You. We'll fucking do it. We'll I'll skip, do I'll skip it. work for you. Yeah, we'll just quit I'll our day jobs. Skip work. I'll live off of love and crime. <laughs> I'll live off a life of crime uh, and wine. Uh, yeah. All right. We love you. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. We'll see you on another time. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>